Hello and welcome to the 18th episode of iPhone Life Podcast. I'm David Averbach, CEO and publisher of iPhone Life Magazine. I'm Sarah Kingsbury, Senior Web Editor of iPhoneLife.com. We've got an extra special guest today. We've got the founder of iPhone Life Magazine, Mr. Hal Goldstein. Hey, David and Sarah. It's just great to be here. Hey, Hal. Thanks so much for coming on. And we're going to talk to Hal today about his experience in the tech industry. Hal founded Thaddeus Computing, which published tech publications, what, 30 years ago now? 1985. It's almost exactly 30 years ago when our first issue came out. Wow. Uh, and what was what was that about? What publication was that? It was called The Portable Paper, and it was about the HP 110 Portable, which was a uh, the first laptop computer that uh, d- uh, f- that uh, fully PC compatible. Uh, you probably don't even know what that means, PC compatible. <laughs> <laughs> no, everything's a PC. <laughs> um, it so, was it was the first computer that you could really have on your lap that functioned like a real desktop computer. How much did it weigh? Nine pounds, which was really, really, really uh, light at the time. <laughs> so like a large baby? <laughs> yes, it was a large baby that, that people, people just were... And it was, it was just only $3,000 plus the peripherals were another $1,300. So it was $4,300 to get going. Wow, so cheap. <laughs> Especially in 1985. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk to Hal. Obviously, he's been around the block a few times with uh, consumer tech, and he's going to give us his perspective uh, on the iPhone, how all the tech leading up to it affected it, what things Apple got right that previous people hadn't gotten right, and we're just going to talk about all of his experiences. Uh, But before we get started, let me take a minute to tell you guys about iPhone Life Tip of the Day. Uh, If you haven't signed up, make sure you sign up because it's free. Uh, so each every day we send you an email and we teach you how to do something cool with your iPhone that you didn't know you could do. Uh, some fun tip or trick or way to save you time. So iPhoneLife.com slash daily tip to subscribe to that. Sarah, what was your favorite tip from the week? My favorite tip was sending emails with Siri. Um, most people probably already know that they can text with Siri, but you can actually also send emails. Um, the way to do it is activate Siri Hold the home button down. Don't let go because sometimes Siri interrupts you and says, I didn't get that. Which is a good tip right there. Uh, It's my favorite tip. My favorite (laughs) Siri tip. Um, So activate Siri and continue holding the home button and say, send an email to David Auerbach. And if you have more than one email for him, because everyone has David's email, obviously. Clearly. Then uh, they'll ask you which one to send it to, and then uh, Siri will prompt you to, to dictate a subject line. And then once you've done that, to dictate the body of the email. And you can even dictate the punctuation, which I love to do. And then if you're happy with it, you can just say yes and send. Or you can say change message and change what you've written. So this is a great tip, too, because not only if you didn't know you could send emails, it's something to, to check out, but just as a reminder to use dictation because it's, I find it's often a lot faster than typing and I always forget to use it. Yeah, anything of any length, if you have to do it on your iPhone, say you're just on the go and you can't get to a computer, dictation is definitely the way to go. Although it's kind of awkward to dictate things in a crowd, so maybe yeah. find a quiet spot. Dictate in private, I think. <laughs> but Sarah, how accurate is it? I mean, I'm, I, I have to admit, I gave up using Siri that way for, you know, m- many iterations ago because <laughs> I, I spent all the time correcting it. Siri has improved a lot, actually, and it improves more as you 
use it. And also you do have to speak a little more clearly than you might otherwise. It, you kind of have to learn your Siri speaking voice, but it, it, I think you'd find it if you tried it again, it's much better than it used to be. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people are kind of in your boat, Hal, where they used it originally uh, and it wasn't that great in terms of it made a lot of mistakes and then they gave up, but they've really improved Siri. So if you haven't used it recently, give it a shot. I mean, the dictation is pretty good. You definitely still do need to make corrections. I think most of the time it's still faster. Although one thing Siri really sucks at is I have a lot of uncommon names in my family mm. and I've actually followed our tip on how to teach Siri their names and Siri still just, they're like, I'm sorry, here's what I found on the web. Or it's like, no, I said, you know, I'm trying to email my husband. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's still limits, but it's much better. I think you should give it another try. Absolutely. Uh, so let's get move right along to our insider question. If you haven't checked out iPhone Life Insider yet, make sure you check that out. That's our premium subscription. Uh, subscribers to iPhone Life Insider get an uh, email tip. So every day we'll email you a video tip of some way you can use your iPhone better. You get in-depth video guides of fun ways you can use your iPhone. We're just coming out this week with uh, our iOS 9 guide, which we're excited about. Next week will be our photography guide. So we're, we're really amp ramping up, not amping up, we're ramping up our guides for this year. So make sure you check them out. And, and David, you know, I would suggest to everybody, maybe if you're listening to this podcast, you're already, you feel like you really know your stuff. What a great gift. Mm -hmm. uh, what all, The people that you're helping with their iPhone, uh, just think of all the time you could save. <laughs> have them send insider questions to me instead. There you go. There you go. And what Hal's alluding to is we do have gift subscriptions. Um, I don't know if I have the URL off the top of my head. So I'll include it in the there podcast. There you go. Go to, I, go to iphonelife.com slash podcast to get that gift for that special somebody who clearly wasn't special enough for you to remember to get the gift ahead of time. <laughs> um, but yeah, and to, to Hal's point too, even if you feel like you really do know your iPhone, there's a lot out there that even experts don't know. Uh, and I'm always, I feel like I'm an expert, at least enough to get up here and lecture you guys about stuff. And I learn stuff from the insider all the time. So make sure you check it out. Uh, we have a 100% money back guarantee for 30 days. So you can always try it and see, are you learning something or not? Um, and last but not least, you get to email us questions, as Sarah's alluding to, so and we feature them in the podcast. So go to iphonelife.com slash insider to uh, subscribe to Insider. And Sarah, what was your favorite question from this week? I got one asking about photo management, which I feel like is something that challenges everyone, mm -hmm. except for actually this person, but even he's feeling challenged. <laughs> this is what he says. I have my photos under control, which is so impressive. Way using to go, Rick. Yeah. Using photos on my Mac and my iPhone, storing all my photos on iCloud. My question is how to set up my wife, who also has an iPhone and a PC, to be able to see my photos. I have the master photo library. Also to be able to see uh, her own photos. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Thanks, Rick. So my recommendation to Rick is, if he hasn't already, to set up um, family sharing, where he and his wife will each have their own Apple ID, but they can share certain things, which includes a shared photo album, um, which gets created automatically and is called Family. And if you're in your Photos app and you have family sharing enabled, you can tap on Shared and you'll see that family album. 
And then anything you put in that album, any photos, will be automatically synced to your your wife's family album on her devices. And she can even download iCloud for PC on her computer and access and share photos from there as well. So you don't have to have a Mac to get iCloud and share those photos. Family sharing, too, is just a good thing to have. I mean, a lot of the questions we get, the answer tends to be family sharing because it's one of the things that people struggle with is how to take the device that's siloed onto your account and share with other people. Uh, And you can also share purchases. You can share calendars. And reminder lists. And reminder lists. So if you have a family, I would... Do family sharing. Yeah, I think I'm it's actually great. surprised by how much I use all of the sharing features of family sharing. Mm-hmm. I share reminders with my kids. We have a shared calendar that we use for their activities. It's really handy. Um, but if you don't, if you want to share photos with someone who you don't aren't closely related enough to to do family sharing, <laughs> um, because the thing is, if you set up family sharing, you don't share the cost of the purchases. As I know, I just my kids share the purchases, but I. I pay for them all by myself. Thanks, kids. (laughs) So um, you can actually share albums with anyone just without family sharing. You just, again, tap on shared when you're in photos. And then uh, I can't remember exactly what it's like create new album or share new album. Mm -hmm. And then you can name it and and, and you can choose who to share it with. And um, I do believe they have to have an Apple ID, so but anyone can have an Apple ID. Uh, they, well, one thing you can do that I like to do, they do if you they do have to have an Apple ID to share it with them. You can use their phone number or their email address to share it with them. But you can also make it a public website, right? Which basically it's not that public because you'd have to know the URL. So what I'll do is I'll actually check that box and I'll just text my family. Uh, the URL to that website so they can go see right. the photos. I've done that to share with the sad people who use Android in my yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, what's nice about that is if you're at a public, uh, if you're at a family event where you have your nieces and nephews, things like that, you're not going to do family sharing with your extended family, but then everybody can access the photos. And if they do all have iPhones uh, and you share the album as opposed to just the link, they can upload their photos too. Right, and you don't have to have an iPhone or an iPad. You just have to have an iCloud account, which since you can access it from online. Yeah, there you go. You're right. So I think it's worth it mm-hmm. setting up an iCloud account if you are related or friends to with a bunch of people <laughs> who have iPhones and you want to be part of that ecosystem. It's a really great thing. It's a really great way to share photos though, especially you know for family events, you don't necessarily want to go like create a, like, put all your photos on Facebook, but you want people... text or email them all over the place. Yeah, because there's too many, but it's a great way to kind of collaborate and put all of your photos in one place. Right. Uh, The one thing I don't recommend doing, Rick, Rick was the person who asked the question, I think that's clear by now, uh, is sharing an account. So family sharing is a great way to share what you want to share without sharing an account. And it just gets really complicated if you have the same account set up. There's a lot of different settings and like email accounts and privacy things that it's just a mess. So don't recommend doing that. Right. People I know who've shared an account with their spouse end up not using iMessages and not using their iCloud email. And it, it kind of actually limits you to what you can use on your iDevice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
So I don't use family sharing. <laughs> I was just about to ask you, Hal, what are you doing with your photos? How, how are, you, are your photos under control, Hal? My photos are not under oh, control. No. My wife is not that techie. So um, uh, basically, she, she, I, she uses what I set up for her. Mm-hmm. And so I, for me, it, it's, it's actually not worth the overhead of doing family sharing. And there definitely is... Uh, at least an initial added overhead to doing family sharing as opposed to just logging in to your account. Uh, have you, are you happy with that solution or have you found the overhead has gotten greater to manage over time? No, I'm happy. The, the solution works okay. well enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of people who have been sharing an ID like predating family sharing because mm-hmm. that was the only way to share purchases before are kind of in this situation where they are sharing an Apple ID but I guess not in Hal's case, but maybe you want to switch to family sharing. And so maybe we should write a tip about that, like how to untangle yourself when you're sharing yeah. an Apple ID. Yeah. And there, there, I think Hal's right. As much as I am an advocate for family sharing and for not sharing devices uh, or for sharing accounts, there is a scenario because it is the simplest in which if the person really is on like kind of minimum phone usage like if they really just want to have access to a device but don't want to download apps they don't want to create a calendar they don't want to have their own email account for those situations it probably is worth it but i think those are limited situations so don't do that unless you really don't want to give them much access to their own i don't know account life (laughs) to me it almost sounds like you know how they say married couples both of them should really know what's going on with their finances it's almost gotten to the point where you should like really know what's going on and be in control of your own tech life and your own like online mobile identity yeah i can see that i can see that care to weigh in hal (laughs) no (laughs) no, we're fine thank you you for your help david yeah your advice sarah (laughs) we just brought you in to give you marital advice no big deal (laughs) should we move on let's move on (laughs) uh we are adding a new section to the podcast which i'm excited about this section is going to be called things we learned this week slash complaints of the week uh and basically there's often a lot of things that we'll talk about throughout the week pertaining to the iphone either Things we're annoyed, wish the iPhone could do better, or little tidbits that we learned that don't quite fit into a tip of the day format. Uh, So we decided to create a section to share this. Um, So I will go first. This week I learned the difference. Oh, actually, before I do this, we one of the things we're going to do in here is we're going to add our corrections from previous podcasts. So we got an email. Someone corrected Sarah. Sarah, what? Tell us about this. Okay, so someone. Our, I think it was our last week's insider question. Someone was having trouble charging his phone. It wasn't charging. And so there, you know, we went through the different possible solutions, hardware and software. And then David pointed out that it could it be... It was me? Well, oh. I'm the one who... Okay. We did it together. Okay. So David pointed out that possibly there could be some sort of like dirt or other things inside the charging thing. And then I said, well, maybe you should use one of those little air spray things that you use to clean out your keyboard to clear that out. Apparently, that was a terrible advice. <laughs> do not do that. You can damage your device. If, if you determine after going through the steps we covered in the last podcast that, or I think it was two podcasts ago, that there's something wrong with the charging hardware, take it to an Apple store or send it to an Apple store and get them to look at it and fix it because you can actually damage the delicate... Um, electronics inside if you blow air in. 
So hopefully that didn't happen to anybody. If it did, send us an email at podcast at iPhone Life, and we'll write you a really heartfelt apology. <laughs> um, I think, to be fair, you'd have to really go overboard with the little air-blowing theme of Bobber to really damage it. So you're probably on the safe side, but don't risk it. Basically, treat your they're, they're delicate electronics inside some pretty sophisticated, teeny little delicate things, and maybe you should treat them really gently. Yeah. So, sorry for that. That's our correction of the week. Um, things I learned this week was the difference between an emoticon and an emoji. Do you guys have you do you know this? I know there is a difference, and I've always wanted to correct you, but I didn't know what the difference was, so I couldn't. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm so glad I get to teach you another way you get to correct me. Uh, and I definitely have been using them interchangeably because I didn't know the difference, so I finally Googled it this week. And here's the difference. An emoticon is a text version of a smiley face or a frowny face, something like that. So if you do the colon parentheses for a smiley face, that's an emoticon, whereas the actual picture would be an emoji. Uh, so yeah, that's the difference. It's so nice to know that. Also, you could actually ch- uh, create a shortcut so you can type the emoticon instead of changing keyboards and have it turn into the emoji automatically. An e- emoticon to emoji keyboard see or shortcut right see now we can call that technically what it is and i, I actually do do that which is fun uh yeah you're the one who gave me that tip in the past really okay because yeah. i read that from our daily tips so <laughs> so you got it from me a long time ago and then and remembered I forgot, it yeah and you taught it to me all over again thanks so one of the things that uh from listening to this podcast that i that i never occurred to me this emoji or emoticon whatever <laughs> was really a cool thing i mean to me it just it was just window dressing that didn't do anything that was like for five-year-olds but (laughs) but david and his enthusiasm and i think (laughs) i think the rest of you um said this was another dimension for communicating uh when with the limitations of text that you actually able to communicate emotion right yeah because text comes across can come across actually pretty like brusquely if you don't add Mm -hmm. uh punctuation and emojis or emoticons so, and you can accidentally make someone think that you're angry at them or, you know, so it's really a good idea to kind of dress your st- stuff up Yeah, these it, things. Yeah, it's definitely something that seems silly. Like you, you're looking at this list of smiley faces and trying to decide which one to use. Is, I mean, it is kind of ridiculous and silly. But uh, Donna, our editor-in-chief, uh, told this story that I think is a good example, which is uh, she has an Apple Watch, which has the presets. So somebody texted her, oh, I'm running late for lunch, and she used her presetting just to hit OK, period. Uh, and then she got to lunch, and her friend said, are you mad at me? <laughs> um, which, it's so hard to convey emotion via text that you kind of have to use an exclamation point or a smiley right. face. You should actually go into your preset replies on your Apple Watch if you have one and add exclamation points and smiley faces to everything. It makes a huge difference. It, it does, because it's like saying, okay, smiley face when somebody tells you they're running late just has a completely different meaning than just saying, okay. Right. And I actually noticed, I feel like a lot of writers are using way more exclamation points than was ever previously acceptable. And I think it's a carryover from texting. Yeah. You know, you know who was ahead of their time on this was Seinfeld. They did a whole episode on using exclamation points and <laughs> writing messages. I need to find a way to bring in Seinfeld. Always. I'm actually re-watching them while I watch a lot of them with a break. Hal, are you a Seinfeld fan? I am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> and have we convinced you? Are you using emoticons now? Or wait, <laughs> sorry, emojis or emoticons. <laughs> 
you know, I've used emoticons. It'd be interesting to see if boomers d use emojis or, or are they just stuck on emoticons. My neighbor just sent me a text that just consisted of like six emojis yesterday, and she's a baby boomer. Mm -hmm. I think they are because my mom is using emojis. Your mom yeah. uses really? Yeah. Whoa. I know. My mom does too. Okay, <laughs> so clearly we've transcended the generation gap on emojis now. You know, one of the things, David, I was telling you uh, how much I enjoy the podcast. One of the reasons it's like an anthropological or <laughs> whatever the word is, uh, uh, view into millennia, millennial, millennials, real, yeah, there you go, <laughs> millennial culture. Uh, it just, just some of the things that you talk about and, and bring up are, are things that well, I didn't even know was going on. You know, or, <laughs> we're solving problems you didn't even know you had. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's and it's and it's been totally enjoyable. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's one of the things I worry about sometimes is I know we do have audience of all generations and I, you know, obviously I'm conveying my own experience as a millennial. So I'm glad it's enjoyable and hopefully you're able to learn from those experiences as opposed to just not being able to relate to them. So do you want to know what I learned yeah, this week? Please tell us, Sarah. So I learned something that low power mode does. Um, low power mode, I basically knew that it turns off all those background processes that basically use battery like mm -hmm. manual mm -hmm. like automatic fetching of data like your email and stuff um but i didn't know until last night when my phone kept going to sleep while i was editing a document which <laughs> meant i was reading and not touching the screen i didn't know that when you have low power mode on it automatically changes the auto lock on your iphone to 30 seconds which means if your phone is idle for 30 seconds, it will go to sleep, and that saves battery. Mm -hmm. And it was really frustrating, and I couldn't figure out how to change it. <laughs> and then I finally noticed the little text below that um, auto lock setting, which is in uh, general settings, um, that said, if you have low power mode on, it will automatically be changed to auto lock after 30 seconds. So there you go. Well, that's good to know. I feel like with low power mode, I, I always turn it on, but I don't really understand what it does. It's one of those magical little things that I hope works. Uh, my friend the other day tried to claim that his battery drained faster when he put it on, which is, I'm sure, a lie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does do a lot. It does change a lot of subtle settings. So it's nice to understand what it's changing and what you're doing when you actually change it. Well, a lot of the settings, yeah, you don't, there are settings you're not even really aware of, like background app mm -hmm. refresh and things like that. So... So yeah, but this is one that can you I guess you can be very aware of if you're trying to read something on your phone. Yeah, or one of the scenarios in which that happens to me sometimes is if I'm like streaming a video to my Apple TV and if you're using YouTube app and your phone closes, it'll stop streaming it. So there's definitely times to be aware of when your phone is like what you have your settings on in terms of locking it. Right, but if you're going to unlock it, say, to stream videos from YouTube, make sure you change the auto-lock settings back to, say, like a minute so that if you lose your phone like my mom recently did, <laughs> you, your phone's not unlocked permanently giving people access to all the private stuff on your phone. Yes, definitely. And also it drains your battery. So you, it, there's a lot of reasons to lock your device. Yeah, but if your battery gets drained and you still have your phone, you can charge it. But if your battery, <laughs> I mean, if your phone is unlocked and gets stolen, then you're in trouble. Exactly. How about you, How? What is your uh, complaint of the week? Well, my complaint of the week is my complaint of the month and the year. <laughs> and thing, It just gets worse and worse, and that's iTunes. 
And to me, iTunes is the anti-Apple. The thing that makes Apple great is that it's all about the user and user experience. And iTunes is all about selling, it seems to me, selling Apple stuff, Apple subscriptions, Apple uh, iTunes content. And it's not about me. I just want to listen to all my 60s albums and, and, and all the great stuff that I have in my own iTunes library. And it, it's so difficult. Uh, and so many new interf interfaces change. Uh, interfaces are different across devices. It's, it's a very, and then I'm trying to set up something for my wife to listen to a simple playlist so that she could do it each time um, with, the, with the different advertisements that come up. It's just, it's, it's a horrible piece of software in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm right there with you, and I, I don't know anybody who likes iTunes. I think the, pro the interesting thing about iTunes was when it launched, it was one of the things that separated Apple from the rest of the pack with the iPod because it was everybody else was trying to have people manage their music on their devices, uh, which at the time were iPod and Zune and all of those, whereas Apple said, no, we're going to give you this really convenient software to manage it. And it was so much better than real-time player. Yeah, yes, originally. Yeah. I, I completely agree, and it just gets worse well, each iteration. The, here's what the problem is. It had a very specific purpose, which was to help you sort your music, and it did it well. And then all of a sudden, all these things crept in where, oh, now we're going to sell you music. Now we're going to let you sync your iPhone with it, manage your apps, your podcasts. You can even rearrange your home screen from iTunes. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing, rearranging. <laughs> Does, is anybody, If I mean, I have a ton of apps. Has anybody tried? I mean, it just takes hours to do it. Well, you do it on iTunes. That's actually one of the things that iTunes is good at, is if you rearrange, you can rearrange all your apps but, but, on your computer, and you can see all your home screens at once and create new home screens and just, like, But doesn't that mouth. take forever? Well, you'll have to invest a few minutes, yeah. Uh, but, a few hours, like four or five, you know, to get it right. It's still going to be way faster than on your iPhone or uh, iPad. Honestly, I'm with Hal. I used to be really, like, meticulous about my sorting. I have, like, folders. I have, like, exactly. games yes. one, games two, travel. But, yeah, but why do you have to do that? You just search. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. I've completely given up putting anything in folders, and now if, if the app is either on my home screen or I search for it because it's just or not just worth say, it. Or just say, hey Siri, open the Facebook app. Yeah, exactly. So I think Apple solved the problem in a different way, which is preventing the need from having to sort because I agree. Sorting, it's just, it's such a pain and so much overhead. I started to do it the other day and was like, screw this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm right there with you with iTunes. So what's your least favorite thing in iTunes? What's the thing that just drives you crazy when you try to do it? Well, just when it brings me, it doesn't remember where I was. I mean, can you imagine I'm listening halfway through an audio piece of audio, and I go back to that audio, and it won't even remember yeah. where, 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 where I was in that audio? I mean, my gosh. We had someone else come in here the other day, a uh, reader, and they had the exact same complaint. So there you go, Apple. This is why we're doing the complaint of the day. Is someone at Apple will hear us and change yeah, our, hear our Yeah, but the solution plea. to that was listen to the audio file as an iBook, and then it won't lose your place. There you go. So if you have a large audio file, this is relevant for, uh, like, say, you listen to classical music or something, then you can do that. What, but it's in my iTunes library. I can still... You can change the file type. So you mean I have right? to go in and change the file type so that it'll remember <laughs> where, where a particular piece of audio is? Uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> all right, let's move right along to news. Um, so, first of all, Apple 
dominated the holiday sales. So uh, according to Flurry, which is an analytics firm, Apple, in terms of smartphone activations, Apple accounted for almost 50% of all new mobile device activations. Uh, Samsung was number two with 19%, and number three was Nokia with 2%. Is that right? Was they, were they number three with 2%? I didn't even know people bought Nokia things anymore. It's, it's the Microsoft phone. Yeah, I know, but... Uh... You know, <laughs> well, 2% of people. This is worldwide, or...? Shoot, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I can't believe it's worldwide with Nokia. Uh, I don't know. I well, we'll we'll have a correction on our website, iPhoneLife.com/podcast, to let you know it might have been in the U.S. You might be right. Um, but either way, that's a huge like just the difference between Apple and Samsung at this point. It seems like they used to be neck and neck, and now Apple's just killing them, right? Yeah, it does seem like that. So, way to go, Apple. Uh, did you guys either give or receive any Apple devices this holiday season? Nope. Nope. How about you, Hal? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I think I mentioned this. I received a Hanukkah present, uh, the Apple TV. So I obviously have talked about my Apple TV. And Donna uh, Shell Cleveland, our editor-in-chief, had, did mention she was giving her dad an Apple TV, right? And, so, and her husband. And her husband. And she was, was someone else getting husband. an Apple Watch? I don't, I don't remember. Know, no. But yeah, there was definitely a couple of Apple TVs. A lot TVs. of Apple devices. Those seem to be the two that people tend to give more because they're on the cheaper side of the Apple world right um so yeah love my apple tv still um next news item by the way i bought myself a fire Ooh, okay <laughs> tell us about I, it felt fire stick so uh, how, instead of the apple tv i listened to you guys <laughs> and, and decided and to I, do the I, opposite and i disliked my own my old original apple tv so much uh-huh. This darn thing just worked like a. It was fast. It was obvious. Really easy to use. Wait. Okay. Hold on. So I'm, you disliked your original Apple TV. I did. Okay. Okay. So you you got the Fire Stick, which is thirty five dollars. Yeah, and I got it on sale for twenty four dollars. Ooh, <laughs> that's, nice. that's really cheap. And that and that had and it also has um, uh, voice too. Okay. So uh, and uh, you you're happy with it. Oh, I love it. So what? So how, I love it because it's just. I just want I just want to use the darn thing. I don't I'm not that I just want to watch what I want to watch when I want to watch it quickly and and, and without a hassle. And it just worked. And even you know something they they did is they played like a a two and a half minute video for how how to mm. all the features. And Apple, I hate to say, use the word arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> I think Apple and arrogant go hand in hand. I think but, that's a pretty established but, thing. But, yeah. but, but, but the thing about Apple is that they've always felt that their machines are so intuitive and so easy to use that it just you don't need anything but a little piece of paper that says turn it, how to turn it on. Mm-hmm. And, and it was great just to have a quick overview in a nice, fun, simple video. And, and uh, it, just, it was just a much better experience. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, when I read Jim Carpin's like 30 ways to use your new Apple TV, I learned so many things I didn't know I could do. And I'd been using my Apple TV for like a week at that point. I don't think Apple is really intuitive anymore. I mean, I, like the Apple Watch was not intuitive to learn how to use. 3D Touch is not intuitive to learn how to iTunes use. iTunes is not intuitive. <laughs> iTunes, I don't even know if Apple knows how to use iTunes. <laughs> I don't, to be fair, in Apple's defense, somehow I always seem to be that person. Sorry, but somebody's got to do it. Uh, in Apple's defense, it's you're always struggling between 
adding more features and having it be a streamlined experience. And the more features you add, the less intuitive it gets. So as software gets more advanced, the more advanced features you add, it's harder to make intuitive. And Apple has in the past managed to miraculously walk that line. And I agree, I think in recent iterations, it hasn't been quite as intuitive. Um, yeah, I, th I think we're going to get into this, but the reason why Apple won the war with the iPhone was because they they put the emphasis on the user mm -hmm. experience rather than the mm -hmm. all the features, and and th things are sort of going deteriorating in a certain sense. <laughs> uh, interesting. So we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But so what does the Fire Stick do? That it, it, like because twenty five bucks is so cheap. So just, like it, it just works. No, I, mean. <laughs> I know. But what do, what is it working on? Like you plug it in I, I and you can it. watch what. Uh, I, well, I can watch. Oh, that was the other thing. I didn't. I, I Apple TV. I didn't want to get it because they didn't have Prime. I, I, mean, yeah. I know. I know. Supposedly, it's going to happen soon. But how could they introduce that product without Prime? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got half of Apple has to have Prime. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I mean, that might be understating it. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that is understating it. So, so it basically, I mean. It, it it has my watch list. I mean, it's you can I go to Netflix real easy. I can go to Prime, obviously, very easily. Um, it just it's just simple, basic. And, and can you stream things? So okay, you can watch Netflix. You can watch Amazon Prime. Can you you can rent movies presumably using right, Amazon? Right through Amazon, Prime. exactly. Uh, That's can, another great thing. Can you stream things from your phone? Uh, I don't know. I don't. Uh, uh, I don't think so. So that's definitely okay. you, that's a definitely thing that I'd missed from it, from Apple TV. But it has voice. It has voice search. Yeah, which I haven't used yet. So for thirty five bucks, I mean, I love my Apple TV. I think uh, it, uh, we'll have to do a comparison to say all the things that Apple TV does. Uh, but for thirty five bucks, if you just want a basic experience, that sounds that's pretty like great. That's like a quarter of the price, so that's nice. Uh, next news item is iPhone 6C rumors, we keep covering this. Uh, the latest rumor is that they're going to announce an iPhone 6C in April. I feel so skeptical. I'm so, you can tell from my tone, I'm skeptical too. <laughs> I'm totally willing to entertain the idea they might reintroduce a four-inch screen as an option because a lot of people want that. But why would they do it in April? It just doesn't make sense. And it's it's only from one source so far, so... Yeah, and basically the source, it's, it's a, I think, Chinese manufacturer. And Chinese manufacturers tend to be good sources because they can actually see what's being manufactured. Uh, and basically the rumor is the 6C will be a 4-inch screen, like Sarah mentioned, and it'll be cheaper, of course. But I don't know why they would make it like a cheaper, lesser phone because the people who want a smaller screen don't not necessarily want like a lesser phone. Well, and, and Apple's never really willing to go full-on cheap strategy, which is why it doesn't work. It's like, you can have, like, you know, you if, if you want it cheap, you want it to be like two, three hundred bucks without a contract. Whereas Apple wants it, what I was reading is it would be $99 with a contract, which would make it like 550 without a contract. And that's still not cheap. No, it's not worth and it. And it's so inferior. Spend it's Spend $100 more and get a better phone. Exactly. So, first of all, I'm not really that excited about the 6C. I think that... Which is only rumored, may not actually ever yeah, exist. Yeah, exactly. But I've heard enough rumors now where I'm inclined to believe that it will happen, but it'll happen this fall. What do you think? Yeah, and then it would be the iPhone 7C, right? Oh, yeah, good point. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. 
Uh, how about you? How would you? Do? I'm, I'm with you. I'm he, iPhone 7C into the fall. He All has right. a 6 Plus. Yeah, so. I was just about to say, how's on the other side? I don't know why he goes smaller. Yes. yes. In fact, I w- I'd like it bigger. I'd like a Really? Absolutely. Well, don't you have an iPad mini? I mean, that's I basically do. a I bigger do. iPhone 6 Plus. Any bigger is an iPad mini, Hal. Well, sure. no, 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 because I can't fit the mini in my pocket. And the iPhone 6 Plus could actually grow a little bit, and I, it would be able to fit in my pocket. Maybe you just need bigger pockets. <laughs> you need a man purse. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Hal came in for fashion advice, marital advice. <laughs> um, other Apple news. Uh, the Beatles have now come to Spotify and to Apple Music, which is I thought was a big deal. I mean, it is, because they always said they weren't going to do it, right? I think so. Yeah, they held out for a long time there. Um, Hal, how about you? Are you are you a Beatles fan? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I grew up with the Beatles and Dylan. Are, are I guess that's where Jobs and I have in common. Uh-huh. You know? but I it just uh, I, I I just remember in college every new album, Beatles album that would come out, it was just. Uh, it was just the next level. It was sort of like Apple and their new products. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Beatles fan. Uh, I mean, obviously, like before I got my own records, I had to listen to my parents. And so it was like all Beatles and Rolling Stones and stuff. And But even once I was old enough to control the record player, there was still a lot of Beatles in the mix. Absolutely. I was listening to the Beatles all weekend. Um, and that's one of the things, too, I meant to mention in our last podcast. In the last podcast, we talked about Spotify uh, and of course, I was talking about discovering music, and most of my music tends to be newer music. But Apple Music and Spotify are a great source for all of the oldies. I, like Neil Young recently pulled his music, which was sad. But almost everybody's on there: The Stones, The Beatles, now, which is great. Uh, Dylan, um, Joni Mitchell. So it's don't feel like it's a young person's thing to use these streaming services because there's a lot of music. Okay, David. Are you? Okay. <laughs> I've been listening to you guys week after week you're talking not, about music. You're Apple not using music. a streaming service? I'm not. How? <laughs> Netflix. That's what I use. Uh, <laughs> that's a streaming service. They don't service. have music, I don't think. Oh, no, no. Oh, Hal, come on. You've got to. So what uh, do you, you just have? Where Where do you get your music from? My iTunes account, if I could get to it. <laughs> but where where did it come from originally? You just bought it all I on just iTunes? Bu- I just bought it. Well, no, usually I actually bought them on CDs usually and just um, uh, ripped them. Okay. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah, but it, it's true. And, and I, especially I'm a big folk music fan, you know, Joan Baez and Peter, Paul, and Mary and all those people. And I'm sure there'd be lots of those I could discover. In rare recordings. I mean, you know, these days, if you bought CDs, you probably bought the greatest hits. Uh, you know, to buy box sets of all of your favorite 60s musicians would have cost you a fortune. And now it's all there. Um, you can hear the live stuff, all of it. It's great. And it's a kind of low-risk way to discover musicians whose work you might actually want to buy. This is true. All right. We'll see. Cap me on in a year. We'll see. <laughs> a year? We're going to have you on in a month and, and see how you liked it. I expect to see playlists. so next up we're going to talk about must-have apps and gear for a new iphone and ipad user a lot of you guys got new iphones ipads for the holidays don't forget apple watches or apple watches uh and also probably gave some devices for the holidays so let's talk about things that okay you just got a new device what are some apps or gear that you have to have uh let's start with you sarah I'm just trying not to sneeze, so this is a really opportune (laughs) moment for me to have to speak. Um, I think two things that are really important if you get a new iDevice is 
a good cable because mm-hmm. Apple's cables, like their earbuds, aren't that awesome. Mm-hmm. And a good portable battery. So um, for as far as the battery goes, this is one that David uh, told me about, which is awesome because it's a wall charger and a portable battery. Mm-hmm. So you can plug it in and then plug your devices in and that can just be your charger. But then also you can take it with you and charge your device if your battery runs low. It's uh, by Ventev and it's... Um, the PowerCell 3015 Plus Battery Charger Power Bank. And it's it's awesome. So I definitely recommend something like that. So yeah, this one is one of my go-to, especially for traveling, because when you're traveling, you have to bring a wall mount anyway. And so it doesn't take up that much more space. And I tend to not use a case, as is well established. <laughs> um, so battery cases are are something that I'd have to carry with me anyway. And they often require headphone adapters, which uh-huh. is really easy to lose. And they get, they get complicated with charging. So this is my new solution for traveling, and I think everybody should just have one of these. So Just you, do what David says. Just do what I say. Thank you, Sarah. I'm going to write that down that you said that. so that It doesn't <laughs> count because you're my boss. Okay. Um, anyway, Ventev, uh, in that way you, have it, you can use it when you're traveling to charge your devices, but also you can also just throw it in your pocket with the cable and charge your phone, and it really doesn't take up much more room than the bulk of a battery pack. Cool. And my second one is... The case, especially, at least I find my kids are really hard on charging cables. If you tend to use your device while you're charging it, which I think is a really common thing that kids do, it can be hard on the cable because you're pulling it. Mm -hmm. Um, But what you can do is you can get a longer, heavy-duty one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Skosh makes a really nice one, the Strikeline rugged LED one, which I think we featured a couple of times on Mm -hmm. the site. So that's a really good option if you know you're going to be hard on a cable, and just because... Like I said, the cables and earbuds that Apple includes are not, they're not really built to withstand real life. Especially the cables. They break down quickly. And there's nothing worse than like not being able to charge your phone where yeah. like we're so dependent on our devices. You really need a good, reliable cable. Yeah. And the, uh, the thing that's great about this cord is, number one, you can get it six feet. So what's really nice about that is you can have your phone charging from a ways away but still be able to use it. Without pulling on it and damaging it. Yeah. And number two, it actually converts to a micro USB cable as well. So if you're traveling and you only want to bring one cable with you, this one's perfect because you can charge your Kindle or your iPhone and iPad. Or your charger. Some of those chargers don't, you know, they have, it depends on the cable, Mm -hmm. but usually they have USB for charging, not the one that we've recommended you just plug in, but... Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I agree with Sarah. If you just got a new phone and you're looking, okay, what are the must-haves? Of course, a case, and we've covered those a lot, or or a screen protector. And other than that, a good cable, a six-foot durable cable uh, is great, and also having some sort of rechargeable battery pack. Yep. So David and Sarah, I have to tell you, I live on the edge. Oh, no. You see my iPhone? You see a glass case? You see anything? I... And I drop my phone, uh-huh. and I don't use any. I've never used. I've always disliked using anything. That I, I, I guess I really appreciate the the whole design of the thing. And there's just something I don't like. And, and I've managed to survive with only one or two through the years uh, uh, screen breaks. Okay, In- interesting. How huh? interesting. So, have you tried a glass screen protector? No. Okay. 
<laughs> uh, because I'm with you. Like, I've stopped using cases, too, because I don't like it. Uh, but uh, the glass screen protector, I feel it. I feel like it doesn't add much at all. Yeah, but look at it. You, it well, okay, yeah, mine's it, chipped because I dropped mine a no, lot. No, but you can see that it yeah. is. Yeah. Well, what about mine? It has the curved edges. Ooh, we're doing a live Whoa. trial here. That's a little. That is better. But, uh, <laughs> it's not too bad, Sarah. But I, uh, I, <laughs> I guess I could, I could probably live with Sarah's. Yeah. Would you though? Like, is it? Because I mean, I agree Except with you. By the way, one of the things that would you you mentioned this putting it on is a real pain, right? Yeah. Yeah, this one particularly, because of the curved edges, we've talked about this one before, I can't remember the brand, but ultimately, I'm not the biggest fan of it because it's very hard to get it on precisely, and if you don't, then you've got the air bubble problem, which you can probably see since you're looking at my phone. <laughs> yeah, so the, these are reasons why I may just stick with nothing, just in my naked iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that people go overboard with the protective mm. screens, because I think people think, or, or the cases at least, because I think people think, well, if I drop my phone, it's going to cost, like, I lose my phone, it costs me $650, $800, whereas, really, if you break your screen, you can usually get it fixed for, depending on where you are, like 100 150 bucks. Right. So when you figure, okay, a glass screen protector costs 50 60 bucks. Another reason I hear often for just really, like, basically armoring your iPhone is for, to protect the resale value, but yeah. you don't use a case and you don't have a problem with that, and you drop your phone a lot. Yeah, well, but that's actually a reason why I wouldn't feel comfortable with a glass screen protector, without a glass screen protector, because my screen gets scratched, and that does damage the resale value. Right. Um, whereas I do have a few little chips and bruises and stuff on my phone, but it doesn't seem to be such a big deal. Now, this is an iPhone 6 Plus, not the S. Okay. And I've, so I've used it for over a year. I'm very hard on, I just stick it in my pockets. I could have keys in it. There I don't are see no any scratches. scratches. Yeah. It looks pristine. It definitely does. Yeah. Because I immediately scratched my new iPhone when I first got my 5S before I realized yeah. that glass screen protectors were where it's at. All right. So Hal is going on. Going out there and saying, you got a new iPhone, don't buy a case. <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't want to advise you. I'm telling you okay. that I don't mind living on okay. the edge. Okay. <laughs> so then how, what, what should you buy? If you, if you, like, what? must have app or gear. All right. Well, I've got a, a, a few of them. But uh, for productivity, if you're a Dropbox or Evernote user, mm -hmm. th those should go on right away. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, if you like to listen to audio at all, uh, a Bluetooth uh, headphone. I, I liked a, a Motorola, I think it's an S220. You can put it in the show, show notes. It's like 30 bucks or something. Oh, wow. And, and it's it just, it just a nice foam head uh, on my ears, and that's great. And then I, I, um, I've really, in the last six months, I've really gotten into audio, you know, podcasts, uh, so I use a, a software called Downcast, which is one of the highly rated podcast reader, uh, podcast listeners, or whatever you call them, <laughs> and um, uh, audiobooks. I don't know. I, years ago, years ago, when they first came out in the early 2000s, I tried it, and it was such a bad piece of software. It was so hard to use. I, I just stopped. But about six months ago, I started subscribing again to audio. Uh, what is it? Audible. And, right. and mm -hmm. uh, I love it. I love it. Because thing about podcasts and Audible, uh, there's so many times when I'm, I'm um, driving or doing something around the house or something. So I, it's, a, it's a great way to multitask. So I would put 
those kinds of programs on. Cool. And what about you, David? Um, yeah. So I've got a few different apps. I think I struggled with this because most of the must-haves are really obvious. Like, obviously, you're going to go download Facebook, uh, Instagram. Netflix. Netflix. Even Hal uses it. Not in, <laughs> not Instagram, <laughs> Facebook. I yeah, but well, and that's partly why I'm not recommending it. It's like if you like Facebook, go down below Facebook. If you don't, don't. Instagram, I think, is a fun one though. Even yeah, I probably would. You yeah. can follow our associate editor's Instagram, Wesley the Pirate Cat. This is true. Tell, tell us about Wesley the Pirate Cat. It's it's pretty adorable. Wesley, uh, I went with Rayanne to the animal shelter. Gosh, like a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and we saw this adorable little brown kitten who was about to go have surgery to remove one of his eyes, which had been damaged. And we thought he was cute, but I can't have a cat, and she was not able to adopt a cat at that time. But we assumed his cuteness would get him adopted right away. Mm-hmm. But instead, she went back, I think like six months later, and mm-hmm. he was still there. So she adopted him, and she's a photographer. So she takes adorable pictures of him looking like a pirate with his one eye, and he has... Uh, he's got uh, a snarl too. Yeah, he's got this sort of little facial expression that just looks like he's going ar. <laughs> and so, uh, and so you can just go and look at adorable pictures of the cat, which is really the point of having an iPhone and the internet and Instagram is like looking at cute pictures of cats. Yeah. And this is oh, a very, very cute cat. Well, dogs, of course. I'm a dog person. And this cat's gone viral. It was featured in what was that? Daily Mail. Daily Mail. I mean, she has like thousands of followers who like post, who comment on her posts every day. So go check it out. It's very adorable. Wesley the Dread Pirate, the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, you know. Princess Bride reference. There you go. Uh, we will link to her Instagram. But Instagram's a fun one because, there's, like, I follow National Geographic. Uh, I follow a bunch of things that you wouldn't necessarily, it's not, like, just for sharing photos of food with your friends, although sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> um, but other ones I do recommend are uh, One Password. That's yeah. a good one uh, for, it, it's expensive. It costs about $50, which is very expensive in the world of apps. But it, it's for all of your devices. So you set it up once for your computer, your iPad. I think they have it in, on your Apple Watch even, and your iPhone. And then you never have to worry about remembering passwords again. It can generate passwords for you if you want. So you can have secure passwords. It really works well. It, it automatically fills out passwords when you go to web pages on your computer, it remembers your credit card information. So it's an investment. Uh, there are cheaper options, which I don't like as much, uh, but I definitely think a password management tool for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I really keep meaning to sign up for this because <laughs> there's so many passwords and you have so much of your sort of like personal financial life protected on your iPhone and you really want to make sure that you remember your passwords and that you can have really secure passwords that Mm -hmm. might be hard to remember, Mm -hmm. but really keep your stuff safe. Do you have a password remembering app, Hal? I do, but I don't remember the name. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Try Siri to search for it. There you go. (laughs) Or Spotlight Search. uh, Do you use it regularly? Um, I, well, it's actually, it uses on my desktop and, uh, and then, but, but built in, uh, the iPhone was it, maybe it's cause I use Chrome, but I mean, doesn't, uh, there's built in remembering your password, right? Yeah. So there's keychain for Safari and then Chrome will remember your password. Right. I um, never want Chrome to remember my passwords. I don't know. I let Chrome remember my passwords. If you have a shared computer, that obviously doesn't work, but also it's like, I have so many different uh, just accounts from different, com- like my work computer, my home computer, and I find it just doesn't quite work. 
Yeah. Uh, and also, especially for me, it's like if I sit down at like, let's say we're doing a conference call and I'm at the office computer that I don't usually work on and I want to pull up some analytics. It's like there's so many times when I need passwords that I don't have saved that I'm not on my computer for. But yeah, if you keychain might work for you, I think having a more sophisticated management tool is nice. Um, my, uh, By the way, I have them in, I should, should I say, I don't know, in Evernote is, is I've got it. I've got my <laughs> passwords in the And Hal just got hacked. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah, and Evernote is a good one. So you use Evernote over the new notes. Have you tried the new notes? No. I have no, I've, I've got everything in Evernote. Why would I try the new notes? So someday we'll have you on for an Evernote podcast because I think you're our Evernote power user. But real quick, what do you like about Evernote? Well, it's just simply I've got everything. Anytime I want to remember something, I, I, I'm usually smart enough to put it that if I think I'm going to want to remember it, I put it in Evernote, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, like I say, passwords or, or you know, or if I go to a website and, I, and there's some good content, I put that in there or PDFs I put in there. I put. Can you set up audio. reminders with Evernote? Yep. Because that's my problem is I feel like notes and reminders should be integrated. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the, I wish you could. Re, uh, you have to reset it each time. Like I actually like would like to be reminded once a week of something, but I can't you, do you, that. Have, you can do once once, and then you can reset it pretty quickly, okay. easily. Mm, yeah, because reminders you can just set up all sorts of things. Yeah, forever. Uh, I do think that Evernote is still ahead of the game on, on notes. So I, I, I even and though, you can put audio and video. You can put anything in there. You can do that with the new notes too, though. It's gotten better. It's gotten better. But Evernote's still. Pretty but can awesome. you use new no- notes on your all your machines across on my yep. PC? Could I use my, uh, on my your Windows PC? device? Do you know that, um, sir? Well, if you logged into iCloud.com, you could. Oh. Yeah. yeah, you lost them. We lost them <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> um, the last one I have, and where we, I want to get to this main theme because we have Hal on, but Clear is a good to-do app. Uh, you know, Sarah uses reminders, but I like Clear. It's really easy to use, keeps track of multiple lists for to-dos. You can have reminders that pop up on it. But I, I really like Clear and recommend that. It's only 99 cents. Does Clear have, can you do habits? I'm looking for a really good habit program that, that syncs across devices right now. This one syncs across devices. Now, what do you mean by habits? Well, like say um, I, I, um, uh, I want to, uh, re- a negative habit, I want to uh, not play uh, a solitaire game more than once, <laughs> once a day. Or a positive habit, I, you know, I want to eat a certain food every day or something like that. So you could make a list and have it remind you of those lists. So, you, for example, you could have a list of, and I, I actually do this in Clear. I'll do my New Year's resolutions in Clear because it's just like an easy way for me to remember them. Uh, and you can have, let's say I, I want to go to the gym three times a week. I could set that. I'll put that on my list and have that remind me you know, each of the days that I want to go to the gym. So I'm not sure if that exactly. Yeah, yeah no, I don't there, know. Exactly. There are other more sophisticated. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah, it's it's more or, you universal. Know, make sure, like I'm I'm working on a book so that I'm writing every every day, that kind of thing. That, so I, I think that they, for a certain amount of time each day. But there more there are other sophisticated programs. I've been looking at a bunch of them, mm. but they all are missing one thing. And mm. for one reason or another, sync seems to be the thing that most of them are missing. This syncs well. I like that because I have it on my all my devices, including my computer. Uh, but I think it's a little too universal to be that focused. Um, so, main theme, how we're going to talk to you about the history. So, first, before we start asking a bunch of questions about the iPhone, tell us a little bit, okay, so you said you started with this HP product. How did you, how, what products have you covered over the years leading up to iPhone life? 
Well, first, maybe a little bit of a biographical background. Um, I, in, in the early 80s, I, I worked for Hewlett Packard. Mm -hmm. I was a software engineer for them. And, um, and HP, by the way, was a great company, way ahead of the, its times and, and um, was, was sort of the, the leader of all the, like having um, donuts and fruit, free fruit was, a, <laughs> <laughs> was sort of the precursor to Google's, you know, great cafeteria. Lunches and babysitting. Uh, yeah, and, <laughs> and things like uh, profit sharing and everything was bottom up, like the, it was, uh, everything was decentralized at HP. They produced great high quality products. It was sort of like the Apple of today in a lot of ways. Oh, I mean, Apple and all the tech companies really modeled themselves after HP, so absolutely yeah. it was. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, uh, so that was a great, great experience, and uh, uh, I got to know, I was working, for example, on a, a, the HP 150 touchscreen. We'll talk about ahead of their times. So it was a desktop computer that you touched. This was back in 82, 83, wow. to, for a touch interface. And um, guys from Corvallis, Oregon, um, came down. I was in the Palo Alto area, Cupertino area. They came down and showed... Uh, they were they were in the calculator division, and they showed how they were ex the, expanding the calculator to make a portable computer. So all, a lot of the technologies, solid state um, uh, drives, drives, and, and for both software and for store uh, for just memory, were. Um, we're in these, these in this new portable that they came out with. And, and this is when Hal really called me out on one day because I said in the podcast that the iPod was the first device to really utilize solid state. <laughs> and Hal said, no, we were doing that at HP in the 80s. Before you were born, Before David. I was born. That's right. <laughs> and so, and so um, when I, I left Hewlett-Packard to move to uh, Fairfield, Iowa, as part of a World Peace pro uh, Program, um, uh, people thought I was nuts because HP was a great, great, company to leave. Um, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, and um, but I knew that people were using these HP portables and had no idea about how to really get the most out of it. And so I ended up starting a newsletter about the HP portable, even though I knew nothing about publishing and nothing about um, business, really. And um, I just decided I was going to do it and to survive here in Fairfield, and I was able to do it. And so we ended up covering, first of all, the HP Portable in the, eight, in the 1980s, and then we went to the HP Pom Pop 200LX, which I, I brought for everybody to see. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we'll have to put a link to it for our millennial I can, listeners. I can definitely see the calculator connection. Yeah. yeah it so, looks like my daughter's scientific calculator. Yeah, and this is a wonderful machine with... Um, uh, a full keyboard. It was a full desktop computer in in this form, in the small handheld form factor, uh, with batteries and and storage. Mm -hmm. And so we actually had a magazine all through the 90s that just covered the HP 200LX Palm Top. And then um, HP decided that they weren't winning. They weren't. They weren't. Um, that it was too niche of a market. And so they went and decided to to join Microsoft, and Microsoft had been successful with the PCs, and they thought they could do the same thing with uh, handhelds. And so um, what happened was uh, they, HP started developing devices for micro, that were, became Microsoft Pocket PCs. So, so uh, we had Pocket PCs and then Microsoft smartphones, and so we covered those. We had a magazine all through the 2000s on the... Microsoft pocket PCs and smartphones, and then we jumped ship uh, in 2008 and and started covering the iPhone. 
Uh, that, absolutely. So I guess let's start with this question. Why did, why did you jump ship? What about the iPhone made you say, this is the thing that we have to cover. This is what everybody's interested in. Uh, or this, what did they, the iPhone have at the time that made you jump ship and cover it? Uh, people who bought the machine. <laughs> it was very, it wasn't really religious. It was just basically survival. It, it was 2008. The economy was tanking. And uh, all the micro, Microsoft finally had decided that they couldn't win the war. That, that this, it, um, I would go to lectures all through the 90s and the 2000s where it would be projected that in three years there'd be this huge hockey stick up curve and everybody was going to adopt these machines, whether it was the, port, the palm top, uh, whether it was Microsoft's uh, pocket BC or smartphones, and it would never happen. And Microsoft just, it, it just, in about 2008, they gave up. And so we just, what we would do in the 2007, we'd put iPhones on our covers. And so um, we, our magazines would sell a lot better whenever we had uh, iPhones on the cover. And so to survive in 2008, we just jumped shift. And so it's, it's, sorry, sorry, it's a story that way, but that's no, what it is. No, that's okay. And I mean, uh, that part everybody knows, which is that the iPhone came out and obviously it was a huge success relative to the smartphones before it. And I guess my question is, from your perspective as someone who covered the industry since the beginning, uh, what did the iPhone get right that made it that success, that made it so much more successful than the Microsoft products? Well, the, the, the biggest thing uh, was, it was the anti-iTunes. In other words, Microsoft, the way Microsoft you would develop products would be they just put incredible number of features in it, but the, the user interface would be an afterthought, mm -hmm. where the iPhone the user interface, the user experience was the thing that came first. The feel of the thing, the beauty of the thing, in other words, aesthetic things as well as just the ease of use. Sort of intuitive interface. Mm -hmm. Right. And, they, and second came the features. And in fact, the problem was these, these devices had gotten so complicated in the 90s and 2000s, sort of in a way, the way iPhone has now gone, happened now with the iPhone, is that um, it just nobody could figure out how to put all these usable features in one box. And so really what the iPhone was, was a phone. And it, it was a PDA, really, a smartphone, a smart device, a smart computer that became a, a phone. And um, everybody knows how to use a phone. And that was what it was. And then it turned out you could do the internet and maybe a little email on it and maybe even figure out a tip the tip, uh, tip calculator, and you could start using these other smart features. But the big thing was the interface. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, um, what made the iPhone win was that anybody could use it and you wouldn't feel dumb using this thing. Mm -hmm. And they did certain things that were seen so obvious today. Um, for example, before the iPhone, styluses uh, were the way to do touch. And with the iPhone, you, you, you touch. You touch, and, it, and touch seemed anti-intuitive. I know it sounds crazy, but back in, we, we grew up with this pocket PCs and smartphones, and it seemed like you had to use a stylus. But to touch the screen was so obvious and easy, and, and a, you know, anybody could do it. Well, one thing they got right, too, with touch, they, to my knowledge at least, because it was a very new technology at the time, 
multi-touch. So before, you, they, their touch screens obviously were around way before the iPhone, but when you touch something, it was like it could only process one touch input at a time. Whereas with the iPhone, of course, when you're typing, you can touch multiple things, which lets you pinch and zoom and do all that stuff. And it was because you could do the multi-touch was a huge innovation. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. That I hadn't really thought of it from that angle, but just even from the the user experience, none, no Microsoft product had had they, they, the technology was theirs. Like you said, yeah. they just didn't think about using touch. And there's subtle little things like another thing that you, you we take for granted. You wouldn't think was a big deal, was that you can upgrade the iPhone painlessly. Like, it, it just, there's, no, there's no big deal. You just press a button, yes, I want to upgrade, and the next version came out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now with iOS 9, it just you just say, yeah, update it tonight, and mm -hmm. so you don't even have to, like, sit there with your phone yeah, and update absolutely. it. It's awesome. Back then, it was, like, a huge thing because, remember, micro, the ecosystem that Microsoft had created was they had a they created the, so, the, the, the operating system. Another company created the hardware. Another company created software. Mm -hmm. And so they all had to be, and the phone companies were involved, so they all had to be in sync to upgrade a, a version of the operating system. And so what it meant was after a year, your phone was out of date because mm -hmm. it was almost impossible or you could really brick your phone if you tried to do the upgrade. And so just, just there's, there's a lot of these little subtle kinds of things. And, and um, just things like uh, we, we thought it, that, H, that Apple was crazy. They wouldn't let you upgrade your battery. You know, the, the battery was built in and there was no storage yeah. and so on. But all these things made the device so simple and easy and intuitive for people to use. Absolutely. Um, is there anything that those old devices had that you missed? Is there something that they did better than the iPhone did? Well, different, and to some people, better. Like this, this 200LX that I have in front of us, the HP Palm Top. Mm -hmm. um, it has a keyboard, a physical keyboard that's, oh, that's actually keyboard usable. Debate. Yeah, that was a big one, I remember. And it, with it, actually a Numera keyboard on there. And it's got AA batteries. And so you, you were never run, worry about that. As long as you could get AA batteries, you could always um, have, have a battery life. And it has storage. It had a, 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 a you could stick in a, um, a, a storage card into, into a slot here. Mm -hmm. And so these were all things that really, in fact, the, the, you, you name, this product was came, first came out in 1992, this HP 200 LX. Uh, I have a side business based on uh, what I had for many years where we still actually service HP 200LX users, a 20-year-old machine, yeah. and we buy them, sell them, and repair them uh, at pomptoppaper.com. And it's actually a business that just keeps going wow. and going and going. And what are people today using them for? Well, this was what, uh, for those of you who may remember, MS-DOS. So this was an MS-DOS <laughs> oh, yeah. computer. And so it was a fully compatible MS-DOS computer. So there are companies and individuals that have solutions um, that run on DOS. And this is a perfect solution. And its form factor is unique, with the, with, again, with the keyboards and with the AA batteries. So it solves certain problems that other computers, uh, other handhelds just don't solve today. And so it, it, uh, and individuals loved it. A lot of people think it was the best 
palm top ever made, any best handheld ever made, and they just sort of hobby us. And so we have a combination of business businesses that buy a bunch of them at a time, and we repair them, and individuals. Wow, interesting. Um, one of the things you told me while we were preparing for this podcast is one of the things you thought the iPhone did differently than the previous devices was that it was a communicator as opposed to individual? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that's so interesting to me, if you look at these early handheld devices like this 200LX palm top that I'm holding, really the functionality is almost the same functionality of an iPhone. You can do almost the same things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could even, you can even, with a serial port on the, on the uh, port palm top, you can connect um, to a printer, to a, um, a modem, and so you could, we, there's built-in uh, communication software, but these devices were fundamentally for individuals. How I could do calculations, write memos, um, they're for me extending the, 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 my ability as a human being through the computing technology. And the difference today is the iPhone and these modern devices are communications devices. So these older devices were computers, standalone computers. The new devices I see as communication devices mm -hmm. where you email and text and go on the internet. And the whole, if you didn't have the social aspect, the connected aspect, the Wi-Fi and, and um, cellular aspect, it wouldn't, you could see why they were only niche products until, until the iPhone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the big things, too, with the iPhone, there certainly were many devices prior to the iPhone where you could browse the Internet, but not in the same way. I mean, the iPhone Internet experience was so much richer and so much easier than previous devices. I think that was one of the things that really got right on it. And, and again, not only that, but even getting to the Internet. Mm -hmm. Like you may have to, on the Windows, an old Windows mobile machine, you might have to go down two or three menu steps to get to the Internet. And where um, this flat this this flat interface that Jobs came up with the icons on the on, on the on the screens on the one hand you think oh gosh it seems so dumb you know uh -huh. but on the other hand it seems so smart you could just I want to do the internet I press the internet button I want to do email I press the email button versus like a start screen on a Windows device where you have to go down absolutely absolutely I mean, it seems to me like the difference is that you don't actually have to know anything about technology to use an iphone especially the earlier ones because there was you just had to see a button that had like mail on it and press it which meant it was suddenly accessible to a lot of people who might not otherwise do it plus everyone kind of needs a cell phone and so that combination seemed really Smart. And, you know, people thought, well, why, do you, why would anybody want a magazine on the iPhone? It's so obvious to use. <laughs> but now, thanks to, as time has gone on, uh, the, our insider program, our tips, our tips, our magazine are all really appreciated by end users because they, they, they're so much, they're so, these devices are so rich. And, and, you know, all the tips that Siri comes up with every day, uh, it, it just, it just, who knew, you know? Yeah, well, and even back then, I mean, certainly once the App Store came out, it, it was a whole host of different topics we were talking about with the App Store and the accessories. But even back then, like, setting up a pop mail account on your iPhone was not easy. There was a lot of settings baked in from the beginning that that's what Apple did so well. Is It looked intuitive, it was easy to use, but it was still powerful, and there's so many things you could do back then even that people didn't know about and had to figure out. Well, and I feel like people tend to specialize. Like if you use your phone for one specific thing most of the time, then you will be an expert in how to do that. 
but you won't necessarily know how to do the other things and but finding out about them can be really helpful. Absolutely. You know, one other thing that I, you've got to mention in terms of why the iPhone was a success and Microsoft wasn't successful is that this ecosystem that iPhone, that, that Apple controls, I mean, even the carrier at the beginning, the carriers would drive Microsoft nuts because they were more powerful than Microsoft. In, yeah. in the 2000, mid-2000s, that was something. And Apple and Jobs, who got control of AT&T and said, this is the way we're going to do it. It's one carrier, and there's an app store, and we create the hardware, we create the, the software. The, ho the whole experience is so much nicer. I mean, back then, if you had a problem with your software, with an app, it could be the hardware, the software, you know, yeah. the, the operating system. It could be the carrier. Right. It could be anything. Well, yeah, and I think the smartphone was really where Jobs' whole theory of end-to-end -end integration won out. The software and the hardware being one solution really came to fruition in a lot of ways there in which the computer didn't have as many advantages. Um, so we're running out of time. We're actually a little over time, but I think my last question for you, Hal, and you've alluded to it a little bit in terms of frustration, the complexity already. What do you see as the biggest problem that you saw back then that Apple and the iPhone hasn't solved yet? Is there something out there that what what, what needs to be solved still? Well, I do think complexity would be the first answer in terms of now you've got all these great things you want to do, and the same problem is happening over and over again. Um, like with iTunes and so on. Other things are, that you've talked about a little bit, uh, addiction, you know, just people being uh, addicted to these things, um, mm -hmm. these machines, and, and, and the effect on society and so on, and, and communication. Um, maybe another thing uh, would be in terms of a technological thing. Now, Siri's made great advances, but it's still sort of something that... It's not really so well integrated. Maybe with Hey Siri it helps, but it's not so obvious or, or integrated that it's part of the whole experience. You have to make an effort to, to use Siri as opposed to it being natural, and voice should be natural. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have. Uh, we're going to try to have you on more regularly, but because we don't have you on every week, any last thoughts on anything you want to share with us, Hal? I just, I just appreciate this opportunity, and it's so, I can't tell you how, how fulfilling it is to have started this company in 85 and to see how uh, David and, and his team ha ha have taken the, the, the whole company to the next level, and these podcasts are wonderful. So I just want to thank you guys. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Hal. Thanks so much for coming on, Hal. We're going to definitely have you on again soon. Maybe talk about Evernote. <laughs> uh, so that's all the time we have. Let me give you guys a list of things you can do before you leave. Number one, subscribe to the podcast if you don't already on iTunes and rate us. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, you can send us an email at podcastiphonelife.com uh, with corrections, feedback, thoughts, praise. We accept praise as well. Uh, also, iPhoneLife.com slash daily tip to subscribe to the in to the subscribe to the daily tip. iPhoneLife.com slash insider to subscribe to the insider. iPhoneLife.com slash subscribe to subscribe to the print magazine. Uh, and I think that's it. Uh, so thanks so much, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.